You're listening to Once, episode 246, Sisters. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. And I'm Jacqueline. Jeremy is traveling out west again, so he's unable to join us for this evening, but we have some good stuff to talk with you about. So let's just jump right into this, starting with the past. The more and more I watched this episode, I felt like the flashbacks could have really been done without. What do you think, Jacqueline? Yeah, I really agree. I didn't particularly like them. A lot of it felt, in the end, kind of contrived and convoluted. But what would this show be without its flashbacks, right? Yeah. And I understand that they want to show us the sister thing. And that's really the only purpose of the flashbacks. But a lot of the stuff about the flashbacks and just the nature of those being something that happened brought up i think it it was a bit of retroactive continuity or just squeezing something in i know not necessarily changing the continuity of the story but squeezing in something more in order to support the storyline this is probably not one of those things that was ever on their original timeline of oh yeah hey let's have regina meet her sister at one point but cora separates them it felt a little bit forced and there've been a, unfortunately a lot of storylines recently in once upon a time that have felt a little bit forced, but I'm hopeful for a nice pickup after this because we only have a few episodes before the finale. Yeah. It would be nice if the flashbacks really started feeling like they were um, integral to the plot at hand instead of, like you said, something that got squeezed in only because the show feels like it isn't capable of not not doing a flashback yeah so regina's doll is named isabella yeah how do you know that well she she said it it, it's not like did she it's not in the credits (laughs) and regina's doll played by isabella (laughs) but yeah she said she said isabella i must have completely missed that i know something jacqueline didn't know There's not really anything significant about the meaning of the name Isabella. It means devoted to God, consecrated to God, that kind of thing. But it is Spanish, as are several of the other names related to Regina's family. They have some kind of Spanish origin. And Regina's name itself uh, means queen. But have we ever seen Cora use a wand before? Not to my knowledge. She was always very hands magic, like Regina or Rumble. She uses her hands. Yeah. And we've seen her blow magic off of the book, but I've never seen her use a wand, so I don't know where that came from. Yeah, and she learned her magic. Rumple taught it to her. Mm-hmm. He never told her anything about using a wand or the wand channels your magic or anything like that. So it was a little odd, but... Perhaps they just, they had to give her a wand here because how else could this story that they're squeezing in really work if Regina wasn't knocked out by magic of her own doing? 
that apparently is Korra's magic, and so Korra can't heal her own magic. Yeah, this is what we said a couple seconds ago about being overly contrived. I mean, so you have a wand that we've never seen Korra use or has been alluded to, and suddenly there's this whole, my magic won't work, but it's not her magic, it's the magic of the wand. So, yeah, she says that someone who's related to Regina, though, can cure the magic that Korra herself can't. So it's really just this very contrived setup to get Zelina and Regina to meet as youngsters. Yeah. I know there have been other significant wands. And right now in our chat room, WWO is saying, I would love to collect all the wands in this show. There have been plenty, but usually they've been fairly consistent with whose wand belongs to whom and what wands were required for certain magic sometimes. Well, they always came from fairies. And a lot of the times we've seen it with Rumple. He would have a wand if he took it from a fairy. Right. So my question is, is there another dead fairy out there somewhere and Cora stole her wand? <laughs> that could very easily be so. I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> did you notice anything interesting inside of Cora's office? I did. If you look at the desk, um, there's a little lion that's sitting like at the very, very front. I think it might be holding up some papers. I noticed it really quickly, but I thought it was kind of interesting that they had a lion when Regina's playing around because, of course, her soulmate turns out to be the man with the lion tattoo. Ah. So, kind of a maybe a foreshadowing to Outlaw Queen. Nice. So, because of this whole incident, Cora goes to Oz in order to get Zelina. Once again, how are people getting to Oz? Yeah, and how does Cora even know that Zelina is in Oz? Right. She left her to die in the woods. Yeah, to give Cora her own best chance. Nothing about giving Zelina her best chance because a little tip here, leaving your baby in the woods is not giving them their best chance. Life's lesson. Message has been brought to you by Once Podcast. (laughs) But I also wondered, how does Cora even know that Zelina has magic to begin with? Because Cora had to learn magic. Regina had to learn magic from Rumpel. Zelina was born with magic. Remember, even as a baby, she was able to use her magic in (laughs) hilarious ways. She, besides a fairy, it seems Zelina has the potential for being the most powerful wielder of magic because she was born with magic. Right. And she's not the product of true love either. I mean, Emma has magic and was born with it because she's the product of the truest of all true love. I don't know why Zelina does. Seeing Zelina using her magic there, where she she just realized, hey, I can do this a lot better. This is a little trick. It reminded me of the movie The Jungle Book, which Jenny and I recently reviewed. So go back to oncepodcast.com and listen to our review of the movie The Jungle Book, because one of the neat things that it brought out as well is to embrace your unique skills. Don't try to do things the same way as everyone else. Don't try to fit in with everyone else. You have uniquenesses. You are absolutely unique, even though that's redundant, just like everyone else is absolutely unique. But here, I think that's the same thing for Zelina is it's better for her to embrace it. And in fact, I wonder if she was raised in a different family, how different she would be today and how 
she could be using her magic for good. Yeah, I almost think she would be completely different. I mean, it's that nature versus nurture debate. You know, what really informs the person you become. And with this show, a lot of times, one of their driving themes is that the people around you, your community, your family, are they help shape you as individuals. And I think if Zelina had had a loving family, someone who encouraged her gifts, you know, she might be completely different. We'd have a totally different Zelina. Yeah, I really, really hated the in, the implied child abuse here. I mean, not even really implied. I don't know how much existed potentially before this, but her adopted father was about to beat her for no reason. And And I am in favor of discipline, but what he was about to do was anger. It was unjustified. It was... Uh, really abuse. And besides that horrible aspect of it, he wanted to stifle Zelina's special gifts instead of what you were saying, nurture them. And instead of teaching her how to use her gifts for good. Yeah. This part was really hard to watch because I don't, you're right. It's not implied. And even though he never physically strikes her on screen, his verbal abuse to her is pretty horrible. And as far as how long does this go back? You know, he does say something like your mother's not here to protect you now. So I'm going to assume that this is kind of something that's been going on for a while when Zelina's adoptive mother wasn't in the room or left for the day. And, you know, we saw this even later in Zelina's life when we first saw her flashback in season 3B where her father, you know, sort of condoned her for the way she wanted to use magic to help him mm-hmm. when he got hurt or something and it obviously continued long after she returned to Oz from this little side adventure. Yeah. But then comes in Cora, the real mother to save the day, which kind of familiar <laughs> plot point. A la season one of Once Upon a Time. Right. But she thinks that, well, she tells Zelina that she's a good witch, which made me laugh. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Stop talking to strangers, though. Can we just make that a message on Once Upon a Time? Because this isn't the first time that we've had strangers talking to little children and little children trusting them implicitly. <laughs> yeah, and and don't cross realms with strangers either. Right. Like how did like we're missing this whole conversation. <laughs> you have to come help me save somebody I love. To do it, we're literally going to go to a different universe. <laughs> right. So Cora brings Zelina to heal Regina and I again, I think Zelina really has this inner desire to help people and we see that there. She said she had been wanting to use her magic to help someone for a long time, but her her father really stifled that in her and prevented her from using magic whatsoever. And I think because she was born with magic, she really could have had the potential to do some amazingly good things in the world. I agree. You know, um, it would have been really interesting to see what kind of character she would have become. And maybe we'll see that. As the show goes on, you know, we are getting a sixth season. We know that already. And if the end of this episode is any kind of indication, we could be looking at a new Zelina going forward. And we might get a glimpse as to how she would have developed if she had been loved. 
Yeah, that could be very interesting. It is certainly possible for someone to completely change, have a change of heart, turn around, repent. The word repent basically means an about face like you see soldiers do where they just turn completely around and go the opposite direction. And that could certainly happen with Zelina. And it would be great to see that because I imagine the good that our trio of magical women could do, Zelina, Regina, and Emma. Mm-hmm. They would be quite a force. So Regina wakes up after Zelina heals her. And this kind of felt a little off to me. I want to hear what you have to say. Cora acts incredibly happy almost as if she has her heart. And we know that at this point in her history, Cora is supposed to be pretty heartless, and we will see her be incredibly heartless later on in these flashbacks. But she seemed a little too joyful, maybe, at Regina's waking up. I kind of get the impression that the way removing someone's heart works is that you can't have long-term emotional feelings. Because... We've seen people without hearts have and express certain emotions, but they've been shorter term. Like in this episode, Cora expressed a little bit of happiness, but not joy, not like long-term joy and contentment with life. She later expresses disappointment, a short-term emotion. Uh, We've seen other characters too, like Graham feel something toward Emma, but kind of short-term feeling toward Emma. And we've seen other things like that. So in a way, maybe it's like the emotions can still occur to some extent, but they can't stick because there's no heart to stick to. That makes sense. I like that. They're kind of like post-it note emotions. Post-it note emotions. Okay. Available now at (laughs) oncepodcast.com. So while Zelina and Regina get this opportunity to play together, I love that we got to see Regina wanting to use one of her trademark fireballs just there as a kid pretending, which maybe this has been something that she's always had in her mind is if I could have magic, I would want to use fireballs because this whole thing here is an erased memory. So it's not like this is the thing that inspired her later on that, oh yeah, fireballs are going to be my trademark piece of magic. But maybe this is an opportunity she had to pretend with someone else finally and be able to verbalize fireball. It could be subconscious. People retain things even after, you know, you long since forget it. You subconsciously remember, remember, quote unquote, things. So, yeah, maybe this little fond memory that she doesn't really have, but that somehow made her want to play with fire. But some aspects of that memory may be best left unremembered, like the makeup. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I'm a girl, and when I was eight or nine, sure, I got into my mom's makeup case, and I would do crazy things. But this was over so over the top. And for a second, you just have to think about the makeup artists who had to sit these two little girls down and actually do this to them. <laughs> yeah. Probably a fun afternoon. Or I wonder, it it could be funny and maybe even more appropriate if they just gave the girls the makeup and said, put it on yourself and just we'll work with whatever you put on. Just go to town. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun. Just put it on nice and heavy like this is the first time you were using it. Right. But did you think it was odd that Cora didn't send Zelina back to Oz right away? 
It was. I and, couldn't decide if it meant something like those post-it note emotions you were just talking about. Like, did Cora have a post-it note emotion about Zelina? It is her daughter. Right. Maybe. But then again, she seemed like she did not want the family altogether because what having Zelina there would mean and how that would ruin Cora's reputation and everything that she built. Yeah, because her dismissal of Zelina in the last flashback scene is so incredibly harsh. Yeah. I mean, it's ruthless. Literally heartless. Yeah. Literally. Literally. Like, literally. (laughs) (laughs) It's because she doesn't have a heart, guys. Ha, ha, ha. And that's the thing is to remember that, yes, this whole time, boy, to be raised by a parent who literally doesn't have a heart, mm-hmm. that's got to stink. A little bit. Did the guards drag Zelina back to Oz? I don't... And how did Cora and or the guards get Regina and Zelina to drink the water? Right. I was expecting to see... Cora do something like just put Regina in some kind of trance and then drip the water into her mouth or something. But there she's just holding the the bottle and saying, you're not going to remember a thing because I've got this little thing right here that you're going to drink because you're so obedient, apparently. Right. And Zelina, who is naturally magical and can do all these magical things, doesn't fend off the guards, doesn't, I don't know, smash the bottle of water. Yeah, yeah. It's it feels pretty contrived. In a way, I feel like the flashbacks in this episode were written by someone completely different from what we have happening in present day. It's interesting you say that because one of the writers on this episode, Bridget Hales, this is her first official episode. She joined the staff early in season five A as kind of almost an intern. Um, She was learning a lot. She would go to writing sessions. She would help edit. Um, She was very active on Twitter. But this is her very first episode that she's co-written with anybody. So I kind of wonder if she was maybe put in charge of the flashbacks. Could be. And as Ash23 is saying in the chat room, that they, the writers, have said that they split episodes between writers. So you get a certain half of the episode and someone else gets the other half. And that could certainly make sense to how writing quality or tone or feel can be so different. Like you look at the present day and there are a lot of emotions and a lot of great feels in the present day storyline, but then in the past, not so much. Yes. It, if I were Adam and Eddie and I was heading up this show, I would want the present day stuff to be handled by someone who has sat with these characters for several years And David H. Goodman is certainly someone who's been on our writing staff for years. So he really knows and understands Cora, Regina, and Zelina. Whereas the flashbacks, you kind of only need a passing understanding of them. You need to know that Cora is heartless and that Zelina has a rough home life and that Regina is lonely. And from there, you can kind of just create a plot-driven flashback. Then again, it is also easier to write for the flashbacks because you're already writing fairy tales and the stories are already kind of contrived and a bit uh, oddly acted. Anyway, you, you know, look at season one with Regina in the past and what am I wearing and that whole thing from season <laughs> four and how ridiculous some of it is. So sometimes I think it, we can forget that 
And so maybe it's okay because this is, after all, like fairy tale land. But then again, it'd be nice to see things be a little bit more coherent and carry across all of those wonderfully emotional vibes we get in the present day as well as in the past flashbacks. Yes. And speaking of positive emotional vibes, you know who gives us those episode after episode for our podcast? Our wonderful heroes. And for this episode, I'd like to thank some very wonderful heroes for making this episode of the podcast possible. Lisa Slack, David Newland, and Kevin Crow. Now, Kevin is a new hero supporting us on Patreon. He said, I want to get those bloopers. So he <laughs> really, he emailed me and said, how can I get the bloopers? And so I helped him get set up with Patreon or pointed him in the right direction. And we've got some great bloopers still coming out. I haven't published the ones from the last couple podcast episodes yet, but I will be publishing those soon or editing those rather. And then Jenny will be publishing them because she is our hero manager. But we have 33 heroes on Patreon right now. Thank you very much for your kind support of the podcast and continuing support of the podcast. It means a lot to us and it it helps keep the podcast going. So we really, really appreciate that. If you would like to be a hero for the podcast and get access to those bloopers, get access to the spoilers ahead of time before the podcast episode publishes and get access to other cool things that we'll be doing in the future, then go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. That's also where you can go to shop through Amazon, through the Amazon US store, the Canada store, the UK store. And if there's an Amazon link that's not there that you want to use for your country, just let us know and we can probably provide that. But all of that and more is at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. We couldn't do it without you. So thank you. Moving on to present day in the underworld. We have this little date with the devil. This is so adorable. <laughs> it is. And, and a bit ironic in the sense that you first see them, they're driving, it's dark, and there's a shovel in the backyard. <laughs> yes. I thought Hades was going to kill someone. <laughs> or in the back seat. I mean, not, not backyard. They dug a hole in someone's backyard <laughs> with the shovel in the back seat. Yeah, I thought, oh, who got murdered? Is the dynamic devilish duo now going around killing people for fun on their date nights and then burying them? It's totally how I want to spend my date night. (laughs) It's the best first date ever. But the song playing on the radio and also the song that it's the same one that Hades played inside of Granny's later on in this episode is I don't want to set the world on fire. But I do have to wonder, because there was an expression from Hades while this song was playing in the car that did make me wonder, does he want to set the world on fire? If he does, my question is, what does he gain from it? Our villains tend to not do anything unless they're getting something out of it. You know, Cora will, in her own twisted mind, get Regina's love back in season two. Pan will get immortality. Zelina will get what she feels she rightly deserved. Our villains tend to do things because they believe they're getting something out of it. And is he just power hungry? Is he just power mad? 
what is he getting out of this if, in fact, he does want to set the world on fire? Well, it's interesting you mentioned power, too, because here are more of the lyrics from that song by the Ink Spots. I don't ever care to rise to power. I would rather be with you an hour. For the things that one can buy are not worth a lover's sigh. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart, I have but one desire, and that is you. No other will do. I've lost all ambition for worldly acclaim. I just want to be the one you love. And with your admission that you feel the same, I'll have reached the goal I'm dreaming of. Believe me. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. Now, if that's what he actually is thinking, that's awesome. Great. Hashtag Zadies. (laughs) Yeah. Because here he is. He is the Lord of the underworld. He has all of this power. He is setting the world on fire, at least in this underworld area. He does have worldly acclaim down there in the underworld. But is Zelina really what he wants? And can that really change him? I know we'll dig into this more later, but when you look at the lyrics of the psalm, it it matches very nicely with him if he means this. If he doesn't, then I think we should consider the opposite of the psalm. I want to rise to power. I'd rather rise to power than be with you an hour. For the things that one can buy are... Not worth giving up for a lover's sigh. I want to set the world on fire. I don't want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart, I have but one desire, and that is everything other than you. I mean, I'm basically (laughs) reading it backward, reversing the things here. I have all ambition for worldly acclaim. I uh, don't want to be the one you love. And your admission that you feel the same Uh, Well, that one doesn't quite work. So this is either a beautiful thing that the song matches what he's feeling, or it's an ironic thing that here they're playing the song that really what he wants is the actual literal opposite of what the song is. Maybe. But I have to come back to then what his plan is, because he seems to be pretty set against his brother Zeus. And so if he wants to go to Storybrooke and our world in order to take it over... Doesn't that have to mean that Zeus has some kind of agency in our world already and he's essentially robbing his brother of power and it doesn't seem like Zeus has any power in our world. So I'm back once again to what's his end game. Hmm. I mean, it could be just because I find Zadie's to be ridiculously adorable right now and I don't really, really want Hades to be playing Zelina. Yeah, but I don't trust him. He wants to go to Storybrooke, and he's telling Zelina that, and he's already put in place the plans to prevent the heroes from stopping that and from hindering anything he might want to do in Storybrooke. Well, how much power does he have topside? We know that he's got some power, but he doesn't seem able to kill or to do anything truly damaging. He likes other people to do his dirty work. So if he goes to Storybrooke and to our realm, is he even going to be capable of doing anything? I think he would be able to if he gets that true love's kiss and starts his heart beating again. We saw in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, the spinoff series to this, that the, uh, the genie 
Will, when he was a genie, could not work in the spell that Jafar was trying to cast because Will didn't have his heart. It might be something kind of similar here where when Hades has his heart or really has his heart beating again, then he has full control of all of his magic and can travel between worlds without any restrictions on what he can do in those worlds. But don't you think having a beating heart would fundamentally alter your persona? Because we've seen that. We see that hearts in the show, when they are somehow not working as they are supposed to, whether they be outside of your body or controlled, or maybe in this case, frozen by your brother, they don't, they, they, they change who you are. And it's when you yeah. get your heart back that you kind of become your fullest self. So, okay, it could be absolutely horrible that when his heart starts beating, he really does turn into the quote-unquote devil. Or it could be that what he's feeling for Zelina magnifies time a thousand, and, you know, he, he doesn't want to hurt the peasants. Hmm. I just, he says this lie in a future where we might be a family, and I got all sad and whimpery. <laughs> yeah, I... I... I don't trust him. I, I I know that this relationship, that Zadie's thing, is beautiful in, in many ways. Uh, and also just creepy and weird in many <laughs> ways, too. Yeah, I just can't trust him. And even with the end of this episode, with Zelina going out as her purpose is to win him over with love, I, I kind of feel like we're going to see a big surprise that that's not going to work. I kind of wonder if we're tainted because I brought this up last week about how they've been deliberately setting up parallels between Zadie's and Rumbell. And I can't help but wonder if the reason why we're almost incapable of trusting Hades and thinking that this relationship could actually build to something is because we've been so hurt with, for instance, Rumbell in the past where you have this very devious villain who says he's in love and that he, you know, just wants a life with Belle. You know, I just want a future where we're together. And then the next thing you know, he's trying to hat suck nuns. So I don't know. I kind of wonder if our past with the show is preventing us from fully embracing what could be a future. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Can I just mention that the will you make chaos with me line is maybe the best, dumbest line ever. <laughs> totally. That's why I chose it as our closing line in initial reactions. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's such a stupid line, but he says it and I'm just like, okay. So there's quote big sis, unquote Regina back at the little house. And now we know something is yes, Regina can spy through any reflective surface, including chrome on a car. So, back in season one, when we were wondering how Regina could possibly see Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in different contexts, it's because someone apparently had some chrome or something that was shiny lying around. So apparently, any reflective surface could be a potential spy hole for Regina. That's just so creepy. And... The, the fact that this whole conversation turns to one about privacy. It's like people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Yeah. 
there was kind of an interesting debate going on this week in the forums about whether or not Regina is right to be as judgmental as she's being. Because to an extent, she does have a point. Zelina lost the right to privacy and trust over the past, what, two years now? Yeah. When she was the villain, after everything she's done, I'm not sure she deserves privacy or trust either. But Price of Magic did bring up a good point where she wrote, Regina doesn't and shouldn't get to decide what Zelina does and doesn't do. At worst, Regina should be prepared just in case Zelina does do something but trying to dictate what Zelina can and can't do and take away Zelina's choice is only going to make things worse and send Zelina off the deep end. We all saw what happened when Regina lost Daniel. Imagine how Zelina would react when she found out that Regina had denied her her chance at love. Hmm. So, I, but I, I don't know that Regina has another option here. She can let Zelina and Hades go be the worst power couple ever. And that could potentially be incredibly bad for everybody Regina's trying to protect. Or she comes across as kind of almost this judgmental shrew who really shouldn't talk when she, you know, spent a good portion of her life trying to break up, say, Snow White and Prince Charming or ha- and had her love taken away from her. Yeah, it's more like she should give some guidance, not try to be controlling. Yeah, because Zelina also has a point that Regina was a villain and she's been redeemed and she's happy now and in love. Hmm. So why can't it work for everybody else? Now, what do you think of the labels they keep throwing around? Lord of Death. You got to stop that show. You got to stop. I'm pretty sure I sent out a tweet right after this part of the episode aired in all caps yelling about how they need to stop. Um, I'm going to start just tagging bad mythology. Instead of setting it, just hashtag bad mythology. What they do is they just take a whole bunch of mythology, they throw it into a blender, blend it up, and then discover how things align after that. Right. This this problem could totally be solved if they just gave me a call. (laughs) Yes. Hashtag hire the nerd. Hire Jacqueline. (laughs) What do you think about their idea of, the hero's idea, that is, of breaking Zelina's love? For Hades. Well, I don't think they should have any say. I mean, I get feeling concerned because, yes, Selena hasn't exactly earned anybody's trust or forgiveness yet. But when you look at the pairings who are having this conversation, you have Regina, who was a villain who slaughtered lots of people. And she found love and happiness, you know, not only with Robin Hood, but first with Henry. And she's a walking testament to the idea that love can change people. And then you have Hook and Emma. Hook's a villain. He's killed lots of people very recently. But, you know, his stance on everything is that Emma's his happy ending and that he's a better man because of love that he feels for her. So it's it's this whole, I get being cautious and being prepared, but they're coming across as just really judgmental and interfering in a way that they need to kind of reflect on their own personal history here. Yeah. But I suppose it's better than just outright killing Zelina, which is what Hook wanted to do. Right. There's always a better way than outright killing someone. But speaking of better way, it seems Rumpel has not chosen a better way because as he's there talking to Belle, he says, there's only one way to save our child. I have to do things my way now. Haven't we been doing things his way all along? 
<laughs> he he really goes back to those nasty habits quite often. He didn't even try. We had speculated this week at the forums whether or not he was actually going to try True Love's Kiss just to see. I mean, there has to be some part of him that realizes that what Bella is saying is nonsense. Like it Yeah, he's the dark one, but they've shared True Love's Kiss before. He like he needed to at least try. And then if it didn't work, okay, then we go and we go to plan B and we make sure you get Belle home to Maurice. But if it does work, as most of us are anticipating it will, then it proves something to Belle that he doesn't have to be anything other than at least a better man to be with her. But he didn't even try. Andrea has some interesting feedback on this. She said, I've noticed in season 5B that the idea of Rumpel being the one who could turn dark magic to light, i.e. the light one, has been suggested with an obvious foreshadowing occurring in this episode 519. In this scene at the shop with Sleepy Time Bell, sounds like a tea, uh, Rumpel kneels at the cot and you can see two things that suggest to me he might be the light one. One is Rumpel is being filmed in the light, which is not new since it occurred in 516 in the Rumbell library scene, as well as in 517 in the Rumbell locker scene. But in this scene, the light is brighter than it has been before. I might say that's a little bit of a stretch. This is me, Daniel, talking now. Uh, because lighting, sometimes they do stuff like that. It seems like they work more with color to indicate certain things and weather than necessarily lighting on the character, but I could be wrong. And this could be a really cool observation. But here is Andrea's second point. If you notice, behind Rumpel's shoulder, Robert Carlyle's right, viewer's left, you see a suit of armor in the back of the shop. This is the same suit of armor that Rumpel wore as the light one in the season four finale, Operation Mongoose Part One. That could be a subtle hint that Rumpel may be the one Merlin suggested who could wield dark and light magic properly. That's really interesting. I hadn't noticed the suit of armor. Yeah, we'll have a screenshot of that in the show notes over at oncepodcast.com slash 246. I would really like it if this theory came to pass, if he was the one to wield dark magic for the light. But if that's where they're going with this, they kind of need to get there a little bit faster. Because yeah. at the end of this episode, he has his father kidnap Zelina to do nefarious things. And we've only got a couple episodes left. He's not going in the right direction to become the one to wield both light and dark magic. Right. Meanwhile, under all of this, Cora is doing as millers do. She's milling flour. And that windmill looks very similar to the windmill in the beginning of 216, the miller's daughter. It's not exactly the same. The, the actual fan part of the windmill, I don't know what it's called, but the, the, the structure is basically the same. But the main difference I noticed is the stones are different. The stones back in the miller's daughter look worn, look more slightly sloppily laid out whereas these stones look very finely cut and structured and cleaner uh, that could be maybe a design glitch or it could be just they want to communicate that there are some connections with the original mill or maybe they just reused something in their 3d editing software maybe but i wouldn't put it past hades to uh, 
create a mill that looks exactly like her father's yeah. as part of this eternal punishment. I mean, he did dress her back up in the rags that looked very familiar from the same episode, The Miller's Daughter. It is, yeah, a very uh, fitting thing for him to do it like that with the way that he chose to punish her. Well, speaking of punishment, this little interlude reminded me of a fairly famous Greek myth. Um, so there is a tale of Sisyphus, and he also engages in futile eternal punishment. Sisyphus was a king in ancient Greece, and he and Zeus really didn't see eye to eye. They had a strong dislike of one another. Um, Sisyphus betrayed a couple of Zeus's secrets, and he also had a tendency to violate Xenia, which is a really important concept in ancient Greek culture, especially in literature. And it means hospitality or guest right. And it's the idea that if your guests comes into your house, you have to treat them almost like royalty. They deserve food. They deserve the best bedrooms. And most importantly, they deserve to not be murdered. So uh, Sisyphus has some issues with that, which really angers Zeus because the idea of Xenia is in Zeus's domain. It's something that he's kind of in control of. So for these crimes, Zeus had Thanatos, who is the actual god of death, <clears throat> show, or in some other versions, it's Hades himself, take Sisyphus and chain him up in Tartarus, which is the worst part of the underworld, and he is punished by having to roll a huge boulder up a steep hill every single day. Zeus also then made the boulder roll back down to the bottom of the mountain, and Sisyphus would have to start all over again. Mm -hmm. So the idea that Korra is just working nonstop to mill grain and to, um, there's always more grain to be milled, she can't ever stop, kind of reminded me of this myth. There is always more. But also with this scene, Hook comes to Korra's rescue and kind of breaks her out, and Cass33 at Twitter tweeted me earlier today wanting me to try and answer this question if I could because we don't know how Hook's Hook removed Cora's bracelets because they look like they're the exact same ones that we have seen originally back in season two and they keep getting reused. They're the ones from the home office. Well, maybe there's something that was done to hook that would enable him to do this because remember back in season two hook was originally wearing those uh he put them on to be able to climb the beanstalk a am i remembering this correctly no i'm the, still not okay <laughs> the cuffs from um from season 2a are different from the home office cuffs which rob people of magic and those come from neverland that's why they didn't work on peter pan because he had invented them or something right and in season two hook was wearing them at one point when he was leading regina somewhere and the whole plot with the home office was they wanted to get one of those cuffs on regina so that then greg and tamara could do their they're basically torturing of regina later without right. her power of her magic so maybe they did something to his hook that was giving him the ability to put on and take off the cuff right exactly it's a bit of I, a stretch yeah it is one of those stretchy things it could be that it's just a handy prop that they had around so they put it on cora and kind of hope the audience doesn't notice that it's the same one we've seen used to rob people of their magic before. 
I mean, it makes sense that it would be on Korra, but it doesn't quite make sense with how it got off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Matthew Paul quickly sent me some feedback just now about why it is that Hook's Hook can take off Korra's bracelet. In the episode Birth, which was from season 5A, Hook previously used his hook to take off Zelina's cuff. Matt recalls that the explanation was that it had to do with Regina previously enchanting his hook with magic, so some of that magic still remains. Uh And I actually remember that we had kind of a debate on whether or not that magic on the hook would have even been there because he was enchanted to remove the heart, right? Cora's heart. Right. And we were like, well, how can it still be there? Because he ended up taking Aurora's instead. Yeah. But... That's kind of an inconsistency that we we argued about, but what does seem consistent is that that hook can take off the cuff still. Hmm. Some latent magic, I guess, leftover power. It's kind of like dead batteries have just enough power sometimes to barely light something, at least just for a moment. Yeah, exactly. There was a nice little attention to detail when David and James met up there in the center of town. Here... James is wearing red and David is wearing gray. But when James knocks David out, he changes clothes. And at the end of the episode, James is wearing, and this is on the dock, James is wearing the gray, which was David's clothing. And David is wearing the red, which was previously James' clothing. So so at first, when I first noticed the difference, I thought, what if they actually put David in the river And we now have James, but then I realized, no, that doesn't fit. And it makes perfect sense that James would change the clothing in order to fit in. So he doesn't get back to the Charmings and Emma say, you changed your shirt. Right. When they were filming this episode, we actually thought that they were going to do exactly what you suggested. Ah. We had images of, um, well, Josh Dallas kind of, you know, playing both roles. And we could tell that one of them was supposed to be david and one of them was supposed to be james and a lot of people started theorizing that one of the things they were going to do is send james back up top and david would be left in the underworld and part of maybe season six would be um trying to figure out um how to get david back and if anyone would figure out that david was really james yeah and that would have been cool to see but we have already seen that story device used before with peter pan and henry Did what James said seem not entirely accurate to you? Like, he says that you stole my glory and everything that was mine. But, I mean, James did kind of die as this warrior hero. And David ended up not marrying Abigail. And he wasn't the other son to King George. George pretty much hated him. You know, he didn't become the king of this new land with um, with Midas and everything. Right, but David did still get glory. He did still get the castle, and he took it over, but James could have stayed alive and just inherited it all and still kept all that glory and continued on the path that he was pursuing anyway at that point. So I think, yeah, it is kind of accurate, but it's not really... The the part that I have the issue with is you stole my glory. James was dead. If he didn't have a twin brother, 
then there would have been no glory whatsoever. And it would have just died right there with James. So David took over. It's not like he killed James in order to steal his glory. Yeah. And David was pretty reluctant about the whole thing anyway. Yeah. So I think there might be something deeper going on with James. Maybe he's got some self-esteem issues, but they don't um, shade that character enough for us to really know what's going on inside his little head. Yeah. So James goes to the Charmings and the little interaction with Emma was mm, interesting. Yes. I kept waiting for a, her superpower to go off. And I know we've said this in previous podcasts. It's, it's there when it's convenient. Um, the writers like to say that she's emotionally invested. And so therefore she can't always pick up with her superpower when people are lying or misleading her when she's emotionally distraught or invested. But I, I don't know. I kind of feel like she's also at the same time a sheriff and a former bail bonds person. And there was something definitely off about charming. And, and it did seem like she could see that, but she probably dismissed it in her mind thinking, oh, my, my uh, ability is tampered with or I'm emotionally involved. I couldn't be reading this right because it, it, why would dad lie to me? Why would dad be acting like this? It, it must just be me. That could be what was going on with her because you do see those expressions of, huh, you should know that or, or kind of slight distrust or questioning a little bit a couple times there in the uh, the apartment as well as out in the woods. I guess I just wish they had made it more text instead of subtext. Yeah. Just because I think it would be nice to remind the audience that before she was ever the savior or had a family or was in any kind of relationship, she was this, you know, sort of law enforcement. And her job was to seek out the the truth from all these lies. You know, her, our very first meeting of Emma is on this date where in a matter of minutes, she nails the guy on everything that he's done wrong. Yeah. I think that, though, looking back at season one, that was she knew who this guy was and she chased him down and followed him. It's not that she could figure out while she's on this date that randomly, oh, you're this guy that's wanted. She was chasing him, basically. Right, right. But she she used her superpower in season one in other ways as well. Like when she became the sheriff or even when she first met Regina, you know, that very famous um, ending scene in the pilot, do you love him? And her superpower kind of goes off and she decides to stay. Right. Um, just one other little thing. She tells Charming, who's not really Charming, that it's half a day's walk to where Robin Hood is. How big is Underbrook? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. It's a small town, but it could take several hours to walk from one side to another. Do they not have a car? I mean, is Charming's truck not down there? Everything else is. His truck doesn't have a soul, so it's probably not down there. But apparently Cruella's car has a soul, and it's down there. <laughs> Their entire apartment is down there. <laughs> <laughs> Cora and Regina are in the vault, and uh, Cora said this interesting thing. Hades has spent far too long down here to be changed by something as simple as love. Again, making me think that Zelina's new pursuit of 
Hades, although it is canceled out because of being interrupted by Rumpel. But it makes me think that uh, maybe maybe Zelina can't change Hades after all. Well, this is where I, I, again, I kind of disagree with you. And I think the key here is Cora saying as something as simple as love. Cora tends to think that love is something that's simple because she also associates it with weakness. Love is a weakness. Love is simple. Love isn't complicated. It's, It's a hindrance. It's something that gets in your way. I don't agree that love is simple. And I think Cora might need to sit down and watch seasons one through four of this show. Because it's been shown over and over again that love is incredibly complicated and, you know, it, it can be good, but it can be bad and it can be in between and it can, you know, lift people up. But it can also, you know, when you lose it, kind of destroy you and love is anything but simple. And when she calls it that, she's saying it's something that doesn't have the power to change people. And I think it's because Cora may never have fully been changed by love until those last what, five seconds of her life before she died. So she may not understand fully that love could do something like that. So I, I kind of don't want to take Cora's word on this because I don't think she has a broad enough view of love. That's a good point. So they go outside to a spring that runs from the river Lethe or the river of forgetfulness. Which conveniently apparently ran near the estate in the Enchanted Forest. Yeah. Previously, we've seen people make forgetting potions out of things. No reference to river from a specific river that comes from the underworld. Right. If you remember back to season 3A, um, 309, the episode Save Henry, we saw Regina make a memory potion, something to take away her memories. She actually had a bubbling cauldron and lots of things. She didn't just have the water from the river of forgetfulness. Does it even flow into Storybrooke? Well, August did say there are magical waters below the lands that connect all the magical realms to each other. Right. But waters. So is the water below some sort of mix of the river Lathe and a bunch of other stuff? Do you have to like dilute it out? (laughs) split the atoms (laughs) right i mean i know it sounds really really nitpicky and you know these are these things that people always tell me just get over it just enjoy the show but no it literally takes me out of the moment when i'm watching this because it's not necessarily that it's a contradiction but it doesn't feel like they've really thought out various parts of their world building enough for me to just instantly believe oh sure it would make total sense that the river of forgetfulness just happens to flow by the Mills estate. Yeah, and I like the way that DeAndre Williams put it. This magical MacGuffin has never been a thing until now. So was this Underworld's squid ink or what? Q in Rumples. Your questions are pointless. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, Meredith Pecta also had another idea of how this river might have been used back in the Enchanted Forest. She said, This flowing stream of forgetfulness confirmed something. The big reason it was such a shock in the episode Bleeding Through was because Snow White's father, Leopold, would never have married Regina knowing his previous history with Cora. So when King Leopold started traveling through Cora's land, she slipped the water into their saddlebags so that Leopold would have no qualms about becoming in-laws with her. 
Very interesting. That's a good idea there. It is, except I will have to grab this from the forums if I can find it. There was a tweet after Bleeding Through, because a lot of people had um, a question about whether or not Leopold actually remembered that he had been with Cora. And Adam on Twitter said, oh, no, he knew exactly who that was. Hmm. So, you know what? It would take away all the squickiness that was that episode and that relationship and how it ended. But I I don't know. I think that might be um, in hindsight instead of anything that they intended. Yeah. So they find Robin in the woods, or rather in Soviet Russia. Robin Hood finds you. Uh, uh. And I probably just offended some Russians. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a very common joke from our clean comedy podcast, The Ramen Noodle, over at cleancomedypodcast.com if you're interested in checking that out. But uh, yeah, in, in the Enchanted Forest, Robin finds you. You don't find Robin. Well, I mean, and he's wandering through the woods with a baby carrier. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what, I like Robin. He's, I mean, he's not my favorite character on the show, but he's a pretty decent guy. But during this entire scene, there were so many times where I just kept going, oh my gosh, Robin Hood. Like, he's got a baby carrier that he's just wandering through the woods with. He he tried to run off while holding the baby carrier <laughs> <laughs> to go help Regina defeat Hades. And then he shot a dead guy with a bow and arrow. Maybe we'll get... A redo of season one, that very iconic scene when David was holding baby Emma and then sword fighting. We'll see the same thing where Robin is like balancing the baby carrier, baby car seat there at the same time as shooting off arrows. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Might be fun for someone to try and illustrate that. Let's do some fan art for that. Well, speaking of fun, Cruella showed up. Yeah. I love when she shows up. First off, her line, why is everything in the woods with you people? It's just so spot on because everything happens in the woods. (laughs) Everything. And she punched Emma. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I did a little bit of a cheer. And apparently so did half the forums because everyone put it in their liked section for this episode. (laughs) It it was. I liked her expression, Emma's expression, after Cruella had punched her. I thought that little expression was great. I want to turn that into an animated GIF, maybe. Do it. Meanwhile, Cora and Zelina are talking and because they have this little plan to get and capture Zelina. And... Even though this was all a trick on the part of Cora and Regina, I, I felt like a lot of it was also genuine at the same time. Because here is Cora, who has her heart-ish, sort of. She she has the, the, the heart-like feelings, because she was given her heart and then she died. So I'm going to say she has her heart. She can feel and experience all of those things and have all of those emotions. They are sticking this time. So I think a lot of this is genuine and she does actually mean these things she's saying, even though she's using her genuineness in order to trap Zelina. Well, I agree. I think it's all 100% genuine. I just think that it's motivated by another agenda. And even her agenda, while pretty terrible, it's motivated out of a need to protect Zelina. Because she thinks that she knows Hades well enough. 
But yeah, I thought this was all really genuine, and I thought it was kind of beautiful, even though you could kind of tell that Zelina wasn't buying into it entirely. I really liked when she said, what I did left a wound that's been festering for decades. Because, you know, that's really what happens when you're abandoned or mistreated, is it it damages you on the inside, and the longer it goes on, even years after the fact, it's still there, it still claws at you. So I like that Cora is self-aware enough to know what she did to Zelina. Mm-hmm. And she's also being 100% honest about the real reason why she gave up Zelina. It's not just another, I was trying to give you your best chance. It's, I was doing it for me. It was yeah. all about me. And that's kind of big for Cora. And Cora also, who was the one who said love is weakness? Cora now says this. I thought that love, any kind of love, was weakness. I was a fool. I love that moment. A lot of beautiful moments here. And and this whole conversation and just the expressions that they show her with Barbara Hershey's acting while Regina and Zelina are doing the sister fight thing and they're about to throw fireballs and whatever it is that Zelina fires back at each other. You see these expressions and the hurt and the guilt and the, the taking on the responsibility for what she had done. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to see your negative actions play out when you're looking at it through a mirror or through another realm or when you're literally distanced from it. She's in the same room with them. She's about to watch her two children destroy each other because of things that Cora has done to both of these women. And yeah, you know, so many props to Barbara Hershey, not only for this episode, but for everything she's done over the past five years with us because she's been around since season one. And it's really rare that shows will do any kind of character development for a character who is minor like Cora. You know, she's only appeared in a handful of episodes. But that line, I thought love, any kind of love was weakness. I was a fool is such a big moment of character development for her. It's a complete reversal from her life philosophy that informed so much of what she did, all of which we really did get to see. Mm-hmm. So I love that they pushed Cora to this this opposite end of the spectrum and really got her there. And it, it took a long time because it's a story that's been playing out for a while now. And it took a long time because all of that time, Cora had no heart. Yeah. Until the very end, when giving her her heart back is also what killed her because of the whole Cora <laughs> enchantment on the heart. <laughs> yes. One thing that I'm not quite sure stuck as solidly as all of Cora's moments are whether or not Zelina and Regina are now really and truly sisters. Because Cora takes away their memory block when she holds their hand. And they remember this small fraction of time when they they loved each other and when they were sisters. And we got quite a bit of different feedback this week about whether or not it worked or it didn't. Wicked Regal thought that it did work, and she wrote, and as far as trust goes, I think being reunited with the love they had with one another in the past instantly changed Regina and Zelina's relationship. So I guess newfound, or rather old trust, is what they are giving one another. Yeah. I 
I think it's not just that the memories are restored, but the feelings restored, the trust restored, the the excitement that we're sisters actually restored, not merely remembered, but felt again. Well, you have to kind of wonder if that's enough, because again, this is Zelina, who's been around since season 3B, who did quite a lot to Regina that wasn't, you know, I mean, do you forgive that right away? And this is where Stargate once sent in some feedback. And he wrote, I found it pretty implausible that once Selena and Regina got their memories back, everyone seemed to be okay with everyone else. From what we've seen of Zelina's character so far, she is a live wire and acts on impulse and emotion. She is a super insecure person who is prone to jealousy and paranoia at the slightest provocation. She's been resentful of Regina and Cora her entire life. And now she's just been shown a memory that clearly shows that Cora willingly got rid of her because she was a threat to Regina and the family's status and reputation. Huh. Yeah, I mean, you almost, yeah, you almost kind of wonder if that memory shouldn't anger Zelina more. Because once again, Cora chose the other daughter, which is something Zelina said back in 516, just a couple episodes ago. You chose the wrong daughter, mother. You know, and here she's being shown a memory of once again Cora banishing Zelina in order to have Regina. So, yeah, I, I think Stargate once makes a really great point. But at the same time, she's also taking responsibility and saying what I did was wrong. Okay. Does that heal all the internal conflict, though? I mean, can you really suddenly have sisters, best friends, everything with all the past? You know, our, our past follows us wherever we go. And I don't know that you can erase it with just one handhold and memory erasing of the memory erasing. Um, right. In, in real life, that doesn't work. In fairy tales and in TV, it does work that oh, way. Oh, that's an easy answer, Daniel. I mean, yes, this show is about fractured fairy tales, but it's about fractured fairy tales in the real world. Yeah. And there's there's something that often gets talked about in TV analysis called the moment being earned. Was this earned? Because it's done with sort of a magical hand wave, or in this case, a magical handhold. It's It takes any long-term buildup away, because if Zelina and Regina are now 100% okay with each other, you know, the audience has been robbed of really watching them get to that point because it's all been resolved, you know, with a snap of the fingers. So I don't know if that moment is earned. True. And WWO said it took Rumpel many episodes to make it up from Neil and his forgiveness, but it took one episode for Cora to make it up for Zelina. Yeah. Well, they don't have many episodes left for this season. So they kind of have to rush things for themselves. And Barbara Hershey is probably expensive. <laughs> she she is expensive and she's also on another network currently so she's she's uh, flitting back and forth between abc and a and e but i'm always excited when we get to see cora and barbara hershey and once upon a time so thank you abc for making that investment agreed very much agreed so we go back to the all popular docks which is the place to have a fight and punch it out if you want to apparently because <laughs> there are so many higher stakes for accidentally pushing someone into <laughs> the river of lost souls 
And the whole thing about Hook saying it's not like Cruella could use the gun anyway, just in case anyone forgot, which you probably remember because we know you're really intelligent. You watch the show, you listen to the podcast, that makes you very intelligent. And Cruella can't hurt anyone because Isaac wrote that. After Cruella went all crazy, Isaac quickly wrote something about Cruella can never hurt anyone again. So even if Cruella had a weapon, she can't use it on anyone because she's not able to hurt them based on this magical rule that Isaac had written. Nice bit of consistency there. Yeah. How did Charming break out of jail? I I think, well, like he said, he knows the prison cells. He knows the jail very well. Maybe he knows the uh, the greatest weakness in the lock. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay. You have to sacrifice the heart of the thing you love most in order to open the lock. I don't know. <laughs> That's a little intense just to get out of jail. Or he had one of those get out of jail free cards that you should always hold on to those for as long as you can. Back at Mount Doom, as we call it, it was really beautiful to see the goodbye and see Cora get to go to the better place and very final sounding and very final feeling to me that regardless of whatever flashbacks we cover, it really feels like we will never ever see Cora in Once Upon a Time ever again. I agree. I think she's gone from the show. I mean, theoretically, they could bring her back for a flashback if because we're obviously getting another season and I'm sure Regina will have more flashbacks and they could always incorporate Cora into them. But you're really getting a lot of diminishing returns every single time they do that, especially, you know, look at the flashbacks in this episode. They're not the greatest. I think this goodbye is just very fitting, very beautiful. Let's not drag it back out. <laughs> Let's right. leave it like this. Yeah. Kind of like I wanted them to do with Hook's sacrifice earlier on in this season. But no, we had to chase it into the underworld. <laughs> now, one of the things that does come up that's kind of odd with this is you look at the life that Cora lived, and it was a life of evil deeds and all kinds of bad things. And there are some theological implications here that, of course, I don't agree with, and, and I think some other people wouldn't either. But there is this question of, wait a minute, what about all of Cora's unfinished business or all of the people she killed or all of these things that she did? Well, our other forum moderator, Matthew Paul, sent us this tweet from Jane Espenson, one of the writers on the show. And Jane Espenson said, not everything you've ever done wrong is included in the underworld's unfinished business file. Which, okay, that can make sense. That your unfinished business is maybe more connected to something at the time of your death, or maybe it's the nature of the unfinished business that makes you stay in the underworld. So I have kind of a problem with that because if it's not everything you've ever done, if it's only maybe one specific thing or two, even two specific things, who decides, who decides what your unfinished business is, who decides if you've completed it? Because, you know, when she's wrapped in the fires, it almost seems like it's sentient. It, it laps at her skin and it judges her and it says, hey, you're okay. I'm going to let you go off to the shiny, fluffy clouds. Is there a God? Is it a deity? Is it a thing? Is it just a universal construct? 
I mean, these are very, very interesting philosophical and spiritual questions that the show is playing with. And earlier this season, Daniel, you know, you and I talked a lot about religious neutrality and whether or not the show should just stay on this neutral path and kind of make it ambiguous about, you know, a capital G God instead of the lowercase G gods. Mm -hmm. But there seems to be almost like there is something that the powers that be that are controlling all of this who decided Korra's okay now. Yeah. You even look back at earlier on in season five when Merlin got his power. Well, his buddy that was with him when he drank or touched the goblet, he was poofed into smoke and killed. Whereas Merlin was granted, seemingly granted the ability to drink from the cup and inherit its magic. Right. And he seemed to thank some sort of entity. Yeah. Or entities. It was a Jane Espenson episode. So it, of course, <laughs> referred to a plural deism as Jane Espenson is known for doing with other episodes here in Once Upon a Time, as well as very popularly Battlestar Galactica. Right. Well, so that was my take was this idea of is there some sort of entity, universal construct, something that is judging everybody to decide whether or not they need to move on. We got another piece of feedback, though, for, for a different spin from Nevermore. She writes, the more I think about their mythology of the underworld, the more I think they are actually modeling it a lot on the Buddhist concept of bardo, where the person's experience after death and before the next rebirth is often negative and is the fruition of one's karma past actions. The Western interpretation of this concept, which I think is what they're going with, is that quote-unquote hell is really the process of battling one's own quote-unquote demons. So unfinished business seems to go along this type of logic, which of course also allows the showrunners to skirt around moral absolutes. A quick note that in Buddhism, karma isn't morally relative. It has everything to do with how one's actions have impacted other beings. But once upon a time is psychologizing it by suggesting that it's all about the individual and how they feel relative to their actions. So Cora, in her mind, her two actions that are the worst are what she did to Zelina and what she did to Regina. So once she is free and clear of those two unfinished businesses, then she feels okay. She doesn't necessarily, in her mind, need to make up for anything else she's done because those two are the ones that are weighted so much on her soul. Hmm. Something I've wondered since the beginning of this, this arc in the underworld is, do people have to cross over? Do they have to go to Mount Doom? Do they have to move on? Or is it like, is it just something draws Korra that she knows I, I need to move on? Or like, why couldn't Korra, who still has magic, even though she's dead, she has magic in the underworld. Why couldn't she stick around and say, hey, I'll help you defeat Hades? Yeah, I've been kind of wondering that, too, because we have a couple of examples of people who seem to be kind of content in the underworld. Auntie M, for the brief time that we saw her, seemed to be living life, you know, perfectly fine. She had a business. She was doing well. She was proud of her recipes. She didn't seem to be bothered by being trapped. And the blind witch seems to be perfectly fine running grannies. She delights in it, even. She doesn't seem to be considering the fact that she's trapped as a bad thing. So, you know, you kind of have to question whether or not the heroes and this Operation Firebird, we can save everybody, is even really what people want. 
which goes back to what Haiti said last episode about it's hard to be a savior when no one wants you to save them. Yeah. I kind of get the feeling that with people like Cora, it's kind of like when you're falling asleep and you want to stay awake, but your body is falling asleep on you and you just, you, you can't resist it. Really. You just feel like I, I, I want to stay awake, but I, I really, I really got to go sleep. And that's my impression of what happens is that it's this kind of, in a way, a force that's calling everyone home and they just know this is the thing I have to do. They're not necessarily forced, but it's just the direction they go after they resolve their unfinished business. Yeah. Well, one final point, and it's something you and I have been talking about all podcast. Regina sort of gives Alina permission to go to Hades and says, maybe you can change him too. And I'm kind of wondering, through all our discussion and everything, have you changed your mind? Because we just saw how love can transform two people. Yeah, but then again, there's what Cora said about Hades has been down here too long to be transformed by love, no matter how simple or complex you want to call it. I don't know. The thing is, we're not going to get to see that, I think. I think what will probably happen from this, and you might know spoilers, so I understand if you can't comment on this, but what I think might happen from this is now that Zelina has been whisked away, Hades is going all hellfire and brimstone in the upcoming episodes. And uh, it's no longer a matter of being changed by love. He's he's going to go crazy with anger, but it could also be kind of like a Hulk thing. And like, he'll be all crazy and mad. And then someone will let Zelina out or she'll escape and she'll go up to Hades and say, Hey, big guy, sun, the sun's getting pretty low. And they'll just do a little, some little finger tapping or something like that. And then he'll calm down and then live happily ever after. <laughs> you gotta Wait, watch Avengers. What, what do you? I have, but like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sitting here, like, waiting to have to be silent because I know spoilers, and then, like, what are you talking about? Oh, okay. Yeah, watch the second Avengers movie, and you will totally get it. <laughs> Most likely. You've seen the Avengers movie, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I wonder if that will be the kind of thing that will happen, because I kind of want to see Hades go all hellfire and brimstone everywhere, but we'll see. I also want to see him get to Storybrooke and something crazy happen up there as well, and and yet we'll see too. Maybe. I guess we'll have to wait and see. You're right that Cora does say that Hades has been in the underworld too long and that it's too late for him or something. But at the end of this episode, before she crosses over, she does tell her two girls it's never too late. Yeah. So I don't know. It's an interesting discussion. And I I think we're just going to have to wait for more episodes at this point. It was great to see Peter Pan. So now, assuming that Cora will never be back on the show again, so I can no longer type Cora in all caps, in my notes, whenever I see her. Now, I can get excited about seeing Peter Pan, because Peter Pan is probably my second favorite villain in the series. I think that Robbie Kay played Peter Pan just wonderfully. He's the perfect person to play that role. And so it's really exciting to see him again and see him come back. So good job on 
bringing the gun back from act one, so to speak. Right. You know, he only had one line this episode and I loved it. He delivered it so well. He said, I hear you're wicked. Well, I'm worse. Yeah. And the crowd cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But Rumpel said something that was kind of strange. Did Zelina take advantage for an opportunity to hurt Rumpel? I don't know. That's tough. Because Belle did get the sleeping needle from Zelina. And maybe Zelina did see that, oh, this is a way I can get back at him. I'll put his love to sleep because it's better that she be asleep than be with him. But she seems kind of unconcerned about Rumpel. I mean, she hasn't really had any meaningful, devilish interaction with him in quite a long time. Yeah. So I kind of feel like Rumpel's using it as an excuse. Oh, you hurt the woman I love? Well, now I'm going to get back at you. But... I don't know that Zelina actually had any kind of malicious intent toward either Belle or Rumpel. And I can't believe I'm defending Zelina, by the way. I don't <laughs> I don't know what's happening to me. I like what Doxon said in the chat, too. Peter Pan versus Zelina. Accent off. <laughs> <laughs> also, it was just really cute that Hades was practicing dance moves. Yeah. He's so cute. Like a little boy in love. It's okay. He's only the Lord of the Underworld. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So this concludes our discussion of this episode, sisters. But you can continue the conversation by commenting on our show notes and sharing this episode over at oncepodcast.com slash 246. That's also where we will have the screenshots and links to some of these relevant forum posts if you want to continue the conversation there as well. And you can join our forums to continue the conversation. We're on Facebook, Twitter, all kinds of places like that. And all of these links are also in the show notes and even how you can subscribe to the podcast if you're not subscribed already, all in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 246. In addition to our feedback information for sending your thoughts and theories on the upcoming episodes. Now, I want to thank Zandy the Gymist in iTunes USA, who wrote a very kind review for us in iTunes, who said, my new favorite podcast. I'm a huge fan of Once Upon a Time and of this podcast. The hosts always have good points that make me want to join the discussion. They're also constantly making me laugh. You should listen to the bloopers, really. I I listen to this podcast all the time and always look forward to a new episode. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Zandy the Gymist. We really appreciate that. We also... And I knew this would happen. We also received some very negative one-star reviews in iTunes because of the statement I made in a recent episode of the podcast. And I knew that would happen. I knew I was opening up myself to that. But nonetheless, I'm grateful that someone took the time to go to iTunes and write honest opinions, even if the opinions are a little bit hurtful and kind of false accusations in one of them. But I do appreciate that someone took the time, they cared enough, to write something down and took that time to leave an honest review. I don't ask for five-star reviews because I don't want to force you to feel like you have to leave a five-star review. I'd rather you leave an honest review. If if we're four stars, if we're three stars, if we're one star, that's fine. Now, the five-star reviews are most encouraging and they help other people choose to listen to the podcast as well. So that's why I especially enjoy those. But we're very grateful for those reviews. And if you haven't reviewed the podcast yet, or you'd like to, the link to do that is also in the show notes and on the website at onespodcast.com slash 246. Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. 
I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers and staff helping us episode after episode. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing spoilers. You'll hear those in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Snow White's Bird in the background for providing background music, Keb for masterminding our timeline, Jenny for managing our Patreon bonuses for our heroes, and my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline doing this podcast with me. And until next time, well, really, there's no time for rest now. There's more flour to mill. There's always more. Now get back to work! And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. And please remember to nominate us and vote for us in the awards at noodle.mx slash podcast awards. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be one of them, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 520, Firebird. Hades turns to the heroes to ask for help with getting Zelina back from Rumpelstiltskin and Peter Pan. In return, he offers to take their names off their tombstones. However, when Hook is still unable to leave, he and Emma must journey into the depths of the underworld. Meanwhile, Corella Deville is determined to keep the heroes trapped in the underworld. In flashbacks, Emma searches for information about her family and makes an unexpected friendship. This episode is written by Jane Espenson and directed by Ron Underwood. Yeah. A lot going on. A lot going on and a lot of fun co-stars and I'm really, 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 really excited about one. Okay. Well, (laughs) for the guest stars, we have Emma Caulfield back as the Blind Witch. We have Robbie Kay as Peter Pan. Victoria Smurfit as Cruella DeVille, Raya Kilstedt as Cleo, Jeff Gustafson as Stealthy. I'm so excited to see him. Yeah, the dead eighth dwarf. Yeah. (laughs) Bronwyn Smith as the cashier, Max Chadburn as Tasha, and of course, Greg German as Hades. I'm really excited to see Stealthy. Yeah, that was interesting. I was like, okay, sure. And when we get to our wonderful script tease, I, I found out he was coming, and I'm like, wait, no, it can't be him. And then I was typing up the guest stars. I'm like, it is him! So you are very excited for Stealthy. I am, and I don't know why, because maybe he's the eighth unknown dwarf. Or I just fell in love with him. What was it, that first season? Yeah, the first season. That was dreamy, wasn't it? Yeah, he wasn't in a whole lot. No. So, of course, we got a promo. Yes. And this one is really going for the drama and dramatic effect since we are coming to the end of the season. It Mm -hmm. starts off with a clock ticking um, and the voiceover says time is running out. And then Hook and Emma are taking the elevator that's in the library down and they are going to be pretty much on their own for this entire episode, it looks like, for the most part. It looks like it. Yeah, and we see them... Now, if you guys remember some spoilers that we talked about probably three or four weeks ago. I mentioned 
a large underground, almost temple-like structure that mm-hmm. had like a plaque and everything. And there was some Greek on it that I read. This is, looks like where Emma and Hook are going. They're going to spend a lot of the episode down in that level of the underworld with that structure. Okay. And in order to get home, we are told that only true love can pass. And it's probably the most dangerous place in the underworld. I guess. I mean, that's what it looks like. Yeah, but it looks like something goes wrong because everything starts to shake and Hook and Emma are trying to run away. And Hook tells Emma that she should have let him go. And she, with tears in her eyes, says she doesn't know how to say goodbye. Yeah. So. A lot packed into that very short promo. Yeah, there was a lot packed in to that promo. So it's going to be one of those probably intense emotional roller coaster episodes. Unless they just speed through everything and then go to like the certain parts. Right. <laughs> like like we saw every intense part in that promo. Maybe. Who knows? But we did get a lot of photos. Yes. Of two scenes. Yeah, really this is just two scenes. <laughs> it's like they they decide they were very nice and gave us tons and tons of photos, but it they really don't say anything. I kinda wish we had gotten some from the flashback. Yeah. I'd really have liked to seen Emma with the Cleo character to get an idea because we have some filming photos, but they were kind of far away and everything. It'd be nice to have nice big ones. Right. But like, and where is it going to take place? I don't even remember. Like with Cleo, is it in her? I want to say it's Portland, Portland, Tallahassee, you know, something like that. Boston. So I don't know. Because it's supposed to be, I think, during her bail bonding days. So, or, yeah, I think Cleo's the one who inspires her to be a bail bondswoman. That's, like, the big theory. Right. So Wait, it Was she only in be, Boston as a bail bonds person? Well, I don't think so. I think she moved to Boston because we know that she spent some time in Tallahassee after she got out of jail. Right. So... My guess is that this is after Neil, but pre-Boston, so maybe she's in Phoenix or Portland. Okay. that That's my guess. Who knows? We'll see if I'm right. I mean, Portland probably would have been the easiest one to film because of the look of Portland and yeah. where they're filming. Phoenix is a little bit harder to create in Canada. In Canada, <laughs> yeah. So I would say probably then, yeah. But we, like we said, we did get a lot of photos. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We regress. <laughs> so, yeah, we do have a photo. Uh, there's a group standing in front of the elevator. You got Regina, Robin, Baby P, as in Baby Pistachio, David, Henry, Zelina, and Hades. It's kind of a weird group. It is, but it. I think it's pretty obvious that they get Zelina back very, very quickly from Rumple and Peter Pan. So I don't think a lot of the episode is going to be about rescuing Zelina. It seems to yeah. happen fairly quickly. If this happens, probably I would like it to happen within the first twenty minutes of the episode. Yeah, that's kind of my th- my thought. It's going to take mm, twenty, maybe fifteen minutes. Yeah. So that was the first photo, and then. One of these things I did notice about these photos is anytime you see a group shot, everyone's standing in a nice little line. Right. <laughs> and you're like, really? People don't stand like that in real life. But Make sure the just... camera can see you all. I know. Fa- f- with your fa- uh, top of your shoulders facing the camera so they can see you. <laughs> and Everyone stands in lines. But it looks like Regina and Henry are in some sort of conversation in front of the door with or the elevator. 
with all the Greek markings on it. Mm-hmm. And then Regina has a pain looked on her face. And in the background, we got David and Henry, and they're kind of trying to turn her away and give her privacy, I guess. But they're still wanting to know what's going on. And Henry has his hands in his pockets, and it just looked weird to me. You I don't know tell if it him looked... to take his hands out of his pockets, young man. Yes. No, he he didn't look right. Like he didn't look like Henry should stand that way. Okay. I don't know. That's just me. Let's see what's next. Okay, then we got Henry and David are standing next to each other, and Henry looks upset. Everyone seems to look upset in these photos. I kind of get the feeling that what Emma and Hook are doing is probably pretty dangerous. Everybody's, you know, saying goodbye on the off chance that these two die. Right. And I mean, some of them, I do see that, but other, everyone else, it, it, they, all these photos, they just look depressed me. <laughs> <laughs> Hades and Zelina are looking at each other, but I don't know what kind of look it is because it wasn't lovingly. Yeah. I, like I said, I don't, I can't place that look, but they're looking at each other. Robin's holding tightly on to baby P. Um, we've got Emma and Hook finally join them. Yay, new people. And it looks like Cook is trying to stop Emma from doing something. My guess is that Emma wanted to go alone and Hook was like, no, I can't let you do that and decides to join her. Gotcha. And then, yeah, Emma hugs Henry goodbye. And it looks like she brought a lunch with her. (laughs) Yeah, so she is holding this brown bag. And my guess is that it's some sort of plot device that they're going to need down in this terrible level of the underworld. I love how the one photo is Hades is holding that bag and, like, swinging it in her face, like, taunting yes. her. <laughs> yeah, that'll be a fun scene to watch. And then we finish with Emma and Hook in the elevator. Yep. So there was a lot of photos, but they really didn't say anything. Just everyone's sad and goodbye. Right. <laughs> so we did get a script tease. Yay. And I'm going to let you do this one because you're obviously just so excited about it. Okay. So it is Henry, and he says, there you go, Stealthy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Henry and Stealthy are going to meet. Yes, because they've never met before. Right. And that's all we have for this episode this week. But we do have a couple other things that we're going to talk about. TV Line put out a spoiler, or at least answered some questions, about Belle. Rebecca wanted to know, once upon a time, Belle said she tainted her soul because she saved Rumpel. Does she regret it? Does protecting oneself or family really taint their souls? And TV Line answered that they hand-delivered this question to Eddie Kitsis, and he answered, Belle is very distraught because she did something that she never, ever really wanted to do, accidentally casting ex-fiance Gaston into the River of Lost Souls. In that moment, when it was life or death, she chose Rumpel, which obviously says something, but whether she wants to admit it or not is another situation. She doesn't like being put in that situation, and she's upset that she couldn't figure a way out, because she reacted in a moment and now has to deal with that for the rest of her life. As for whether having tainted her own soul a smidgen might help foster an eventual reconciliation with her dark one husband, since Belle now stands on less than high ground, Eddie Kitts has said, we are going to have to wait and see what happens to her. Ooh, fun. So, that'll be interesting. And then TV Line also put out their own version of what's going to happen during the final few episodes of the season. 
in this week's episode, and then in next week's episode, they gave a little bit of a preview. With Emma ever emotional about the situation she put her loved ones in, the May 1st episode, which is this weekend, flashes back to a time in her life we haven't visited since the pilot, meaning her days as a bail bonds person. Oh, so maybe she is in Boston. Okay. Okay, so maybe that answers it. Maybe she is in Boston. (laughs) Sorry. Alas, despite having stormed the underworld with a very specific plan to save Hook, what Emma is going to have to face to get him back is very different than what she thought. Elsewhere, the underworld arc comes to a close. Rumpel explores both leverage and a loophole to nix Hades' contract. Regina and Robin team up to take someone down on May 8th, which is the episode 521, Last Rites. And I'll pause here to remind everyone, that's the episode we think in which Robin dies. So keep that in mind. Henry's power as the author plays a huge part in the proceedings, and we finally meet Hades' brother Zeus, and dun-dun-dun, a current coupling maybe won't last the rest of the season. So, again, we've been talking a lot about Robin Hood's death, so if you are a fan of that pairing, I would get prepared. Make sure you have a big box of tissues. Yes, And then TV Line also gave some spoilers on the actual season finale, which will air May 15th, starting at 7 p.m. In addition to tying up loose ends, including what happened to the Camelot people, the two-hour season ender introduces Sam Witwier and Hank Harris in a storyline that tees up something completely new for season six, including ominous threats that are different from ones we've experienced before. And, of course, we've been teasing that it's probably Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. So, like, they tell us a lot, but they don't tell us anything. Right. They tell us a lot, but it's all stuff that most of us have learned because we watch them filming. Um, and we've figured it out sort of piece by piece. So, it's good to have them, but yes. it's a lot of stuff we kind of already knew. And then one final thing here. We do have a bit of a Robin Hood update. Um, there was a convention this past weekend in London, and both Sean McGuire and Lana Puria were there. And they didn't say much because, obviously, they can't say much at this point. But a lot of the fans are concerned that they really are killing Robin Hood for good. And Sean did give a few little teasers. He said that the most emotional scene he's ever shot to date was with Lana, but it hasn't aired yet. So my guess is it's probably 521 and it's probably going to be his, quote, death scene. Um, Now, whether or not Sean and Robin will return in season six, it's becoming a lot less clear because He keeps saying things that hint that he might be coming back. Um, He also said at the London convention that the season finale, as far as Robin Hood goes, will either make you really happy or really sad. And I don't really know what to make of that. So All you have to remember is that in this show, dead does not mean dead. (laughs) Right. Because even though they say that, I mean, we saw Neil again. The only one that I can really think of that we have not seen again is Graham. We saw Graham briefly in flashbacks twice but that's but that's flashback yeah flashbacks not not present day so in this show dead does not mean dead even if they say that so the current theory is that everyone's going to think robin hood has died kind of like if you remember back in season two we saw neil go through that portal and Emma and everyone thought he died, but of course we knew he didn't because we saw Mulan and Aurora and Prince Philip find him washed up in the Enchanted Forest. Right. A lot of people are thinking that Robin is going to look like he died, but 
but he's really going to be taken to whatever realm these two brothers come from and that he's going to find himself in the psych ward. And then season six will be the search for Robin. So if you are really upset that maybe Robin Hood is dying, there is still a little bit of hope. Um, but it's one of those things we really will have to see until the very end. Yes. Lots of going on. Lots of playing with our emotions. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's it this week. I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. And you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers.